Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. I'm your host, Jay Ewing. I reside on the Erie campus most often. Thomas just interrupted the great intro shot if you're watching us on YouTube. He's in the building today, which means we're going to have lots of fun. Big shout out last week. If you haven't watched or listened, you need to go back and listen to Mark Wicks and Jake Bauer as they picked up the weekly as Jay Ewing went skiing. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of skiing, the snow has moved in this morning. We're recording this on a Tuesday morning. And I love winter in Colorado. I want I want winter. I want all the seasons to be the seasons. Yeah, totally, right? Yeah. This week at Starting Point, if you haven't ever jumped into Starting Point, you need to start there at Calvary. It's a great starting point here at Calvary. And I cracked a joke that something I learned on Nine News this week, which he never really learned a lot of things in the news, but I learned this, that about... 15% of the days of winter in Colorado are above 60 degrees. How many, what's the percentage, Thomas Milburn, of above 50 degrees in Colorado in the wintertime? What percentage of the winter days are above 50 degrees? What When does winter start? December 21st. Okay. It ends in March 21st. What percentage are above 50 degrees? Yes. 50%. You're so close. Really? Yeah. It's 40%. 40%. Above 50 degrees in wintertime. I mean, winter in Colorado is mild. It is very mild. Uh, Yeah. Don't move here. It's all, it's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Sucked in. Great days. There's so many snowy and bleak days. You never want to live here. It was so hot this week. It was hot. But I just love that it was hot and then it's snowing today. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good, man. Yes. Okay, what's your favorite winter activity to do? Ski. Yeah. It's become ski. It's become. It wasn't always that way. No, I think, you know, snow camping, snow caving, snowshoeing. But I just couldn't do that with the kids. Yeah, can't do that. But now they're all skiing. It's so much fun. It's good. Right? Yeah. I feel like people don't understand how cheaply I do ski. When they hear skiing, they're like, wow. Yeah. I mean, there's a cost to it. There is a cost to it. It's usually an initial cost. But Colorado has so many programs right. for families. Um, I mean, we all know what they're doing when they give free ski passes. Oh, no doubt. Like, we this know this is a doing. gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's funny because when, when we do the skis now, yeah. like my older kids have to buy skis that are more like, or like you know, in the trade-in program. Yeah choose skis that hopefully can be passed on to their brothers yeah so it's like hey those those really cool like hot pink skis <laughs> purple skis like just choose the black ones yes please <laughs> but one of my boys has these bright bright pink mittens on this year sweet it's awesome yeah. like they're the right size man i'm not buying new mittens yeah man that's okay you're on the mountain <laughs> ski you can wear pink mittens. no he has didn't have uh one of them has purple ski yeah. pants yeah it's great you know, we we had to upgrade a, a snow jacket last year, mm. both of the kids, because they grew like six inches in this year. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going to like the discount places to find ski jackets, yeah. right? Which that means this, this selection is limited. It is. But, um, you know, we bought him a jacket. It's like black and white camo from the Columbia Outlet store. Ooh, sweet. 
which is a great looking jacket. However, it is really hard to find him on the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I was up there last week. With him. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like where go? <laughs> like he blends in, and I was like, man, I should do what a Milburn does: put a jersey on top of it, yeah, so I can find him. A bright jersey. I need a brighter jersey. I have a, a white jersey. Yeah, that we threw. That's on. genius, by the way. The, well, me, okay, so we saw this family uh, two weekends ago. Have you seen those like bright green laser suits? Oh yeah, dude, are, those like, are amazing. From Dumb and Dumber or something, yeah. I don't know. Totally, the whole family had them on. What five of oh, them? Oh my goodness, it was awesome. I thought if I had money <laughs> to just burn, <laughs> I would do that. No doubt, because it's fun. It this is, is fun. It's, it's hard because like right now is probably some of the best ski deals, right? Because people are trying to get rid of inventory, right? But it's so hard to spend the money right now. Yeah, because you don't know what size your kids I are going to be. Yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of fun, we hope that you find Calvary to be fun. You want to go to calvarybible.com, click your campus, what's happening in your neck of the woods, find out all the ways you can jump into the fun here at Calvary because that's one of the values, underlying values, DNA of Calvary. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We take the gospel seriously. And so go to calvarybible.com, submit a prayer request, find a group, get plugged in, attend church on a regular basis, and we would love to see you here at Calvary. You like that segue? It's good. Fun. It, it, your phrase, in your neck of the woods? Yeah. Is that Al Roker who, like, coined that? I don't know. Just made me feel like that with the snow behind you. That's nice. What's happening in your neck of the you woods? You know, I've I've picked that up in this podcast over the years. Yeah. It's sort of the thing I say. It feels like an Al Roker thing. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's an Al Roker thing. I don't know. I haven't watched that show in a long time. Watch it every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Which show is it? Al Roker? Yeah. Is he on NBC? Yeah, that's right. Like a a morning show. Morning show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, so we're jumping into the scriptures. (laughs) And this week we're talking about how you build your life on the rock. Firm foundation. It's funny that you picked up it in Luke instead of their typical place. Matthew 7. Yeah, and I blended the two together without even informing people. That's great. <laughs> so, I love that. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, my men's group has done yeah. the harmonies of the Gospels for years now. Yeah. I love that approach of the Gospels. It's informative, and you really get to see the nuances about the long conversation yeah. that Jesus was having. I think it, for some people it's, it's bothersome because it's like, well, that doesn't exactly follow the same sequence. And it doesn't allow for the author to use some of these teachings to make a point. Right. Luke is trying to make a point. Um, Matthew's making a point. Like Matthew's gospel is structured differently. But you have, yeah, you can go to the Matthew account or the Luke account. The teaching is fundamentally the same. What's interesting with the Matthew account is it comes off of this phrase that's disturbing for most people. Um, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, on that day. And I'll say, away from me, I never knew you. And people are like, what does that mean? Because they're saying, we cast out demons in your name. We did these works in your name. Right. And he says, I never knew you. And then I think that actually clarifies this piece of, you, di- you didn't build your life on me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you, you built a life that looks like you belong to me, but you never built, your, you, you, you didn't anchor yourself to me. Yeah, but doesn't he say that some other places in the Gospels too, of like, you never knew me? I never knew you. Yeah, I never knew you. Yeah, I yeah. know you. I think that's where, you know, so that's that part is missed in Luke. But you come into Luke and it's talking about all this hypocrisy and good trees and bad trees and 
you you know you're going to see the the authenticity of someone's faith by the fruit they bear and then here it's you're going to see the authenticity of their faith based on the storms they endure right 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 it's interesting cuz as i was been reflecting on this message this last week i kept thinking of about like psalm 23 or john 10 or even first john those are sort of the some of the places in the scriptures that have been rattling my head you know the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul here's the phrase he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake you know in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. No one takes it from me. I'm sort of skipping here a little bit. But lay it down on my account. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This is the charge I receive from the Father, and then First John says, abide in him so that when we, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in the shame of his coming. I feel like those are like great scriptures to think about in regards to this whole idea of preserving life. That was really probably the poignant moment for me this week is that Jesus wants to preserve my life. Does that make sense? And oh. he's shepherding it. Yeah. I think that's a surprising thing for people when they understand, like, what's the motivation of obedience? Like, from God's point of view, is like, for my good. This isn't the prosperity gospel, but this is the preservation gospel. Maybe yeah. that, I don't know. I sort of get, I'm sort of annoyed that we continue to talk about, like, prosperity gospel when we talk about Jesus wants us to have life. You know what I mean? Does it make yeah. sense that it gets sort of like, you always have to say this. This is not prosperity. He's not like going to name it, claim it, bless it, and you're going to drive a Mercedes and have a great life. Yeah, I wonder if, but, if that if that even conversation's almost over now, like with the younger generation. Like what, you know, TV preacher are they familiar with that would preach something like that? Right. So they might not even be aware of something like that. Because you're right. It is that it might go well with you in the land. Yeah, like right. Psalm 1. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Psalm 1, Genesis, the early parts of Genesis 1 and 2. It's like God wants to do something where we flourish. Yeah. Like no duh at this point in my career. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like. For my, yeah. So that's a, that's the point. Like, so why would he call us to obedience? Right. It's like, well, I just really want good employees. You're like, huh. it's actually for our for our good. Yeah. So, hey, there's going to be storms in life. Hey, there's going to be hardships in marriage. Hey, there will be whatever uncertainty. Here's how you can anchor your life so that it would go well with you. Yeah. You know, I was one of those guys that started reading the Bible early in my faith from like cover to cover. It always had a hard time getting through Leviticus up until the point I realized through the grace of the Lord that it was about their flourishing. Yeah. And then I started paying attention and I got through that and then got through the Bible and the reading plan because I got through these sections that were like, what's the point here? Yeah. And you're just like, it's all over the scriptures. He wants to preserve life. Mm -hmm. He wants to give us a way in which we can live to be fully human and fully with him. 
I mean, here, here's a real example in my life recently where um, when we say like build your life on Jesus's words, it's, hey, do you know his ways? And then do you practice those ways? Do you live those things out? And it's not just about being informed by his ways. So I love that in both Matthew and in Luke, his charge to hey, build your life, your house on me is the one who comes, listens, and does. So this is like action on my words. Um, concludes the Sermon on the Mount. It's like the whole point of, okay, you know the Sermon on the Mount, you know the kingdom ethic, you know the ways of the people of the, of the kingdom. Now, go build your life on it, right? Right. So I, recently we were informed that we should have probably paid a few thousand more dollars in taxes Ooh. Like a few years ago. Oopsies. Uh, and this is just like, no, this is not IRS. They don't know anything about it, right. whatever. Um, but there's just a small miscalculation. Well, uh, it the, the onerous is on me to make this right, but they're never and and I have one opportunity, which is make it right this year, or it simply goes away in history and can never be brought up again. Right. So the question is, do you do it? Right. So it hasn't been brought up to your attention from any legal standpoint. It's just been brought to your attention because you're doing your taxes this year. And oh wait, wait, what did we do three years ago? So I have a very small window to make it right. Otherwise, it just goes away. And the question is like, well, no one said anything. Right. Do you do it or not? And you do it. Absolutely. You pay the you pay the money. And the reason is I sleep I sleep well at night. Yeah. There's no there's no issue in my conscience. Um, that's the ways of the Lord. I live with integrity everywhere when people know it and don't know it. So that, man, it would go well with me. Yeah. And then if someone accuses me later, I'm not like, Oh yeah, no, I try to excuse this behavior. Um, or I, I feel convicted at that point, or I'm compromised at that point. It's like nope. You just do the right thing. Does it? Is it costly? Sure. Yeah. One of the one of the points that um, I think it was Perry who brought up in his sermon was a lot of us don't want to build our life on the foundation of Jesus because it it looks costly. Yep. But the whole parable shows you the true cost of not doing it. Right. That's very true. So there's it's it's there are two costs here, and one is the initial cost. That's a foundational cost. Is it look it's going to take you longer to build your life. You know, you think of the, the person who's building the foundation doesn't start erecting walls right away. So it looks like the other person finished first. Mm-hmm. Like they're in the, they've moved into their house, and they're like, what are you doing still digging? Right. Like, I'm trying to get to bedrock. I'm like, man, we're living in our house. We're hosting parties already. Our, our life is already put together. And you're like, yep, I totally get it. Got to get the foundation laid. Yeah, that's true. Very true. So there's a cost, and then one of it's time, one of it's energy, one of it's, you know, just just how much it takes out of your life. But there's a true cost that will be revealed later. I've been trying to rack my brain for the last two days of an Old Testament story that illustrates this well. Do you like? I know negative stories in the Old Testament. What's a positive story of someone who actually built their life on the rock that you think of when you think of the Old Testament? Well, it's, I think it's so so easy to think of negative stories. <laughs> yeah, they're the easy ones that come to mind. Yeah, I would think of Daniel, maybe. Yeah, I think that's where you know. Or his friends, you know, yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo, is these three guys say, "Hey, this is our foundation. We're not going to worship you. We're not going to give our worship to that foundation." Right. And like, well, it's going to cost you your life. It may, and God may choose to rescue us, and He may not. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. What matters is we we cannot participate in that. Yeah, it reminds me of Martyr's Cross in Oxford that I visited this last summer, where. William Tyndale saw 
the changing of from the Reformation of England back to Catholicism, and a few pastors stayed the course of that conversion, of that conviction, of the gospel's purity. And Tyndale did not to order to preserve his life. And then he saw two pastors be put to death in Martyr's Cross in Oxford. Mm. And then basically less than a year, he was put to death at Martyr's Cross because he was like, the purity of the gospel was so great. And he saw their lives were built on Jesus Christ, even though they lost their life. Yeah. That he recanted his recant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nice. And he died the martyr's death on Martyr's Cross in the same spot these two pastors had done a year before. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes God preserves your life, physical life, and sometimes he doesn't. The reality is that he preserves it eternally. Yeah. That's the most important. One of the things we didn't talk about on Sunday is this confession. I just pulled it back up in my notes um, from the Heidelberg Catechism, 1563. Sweet. Where... The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is a foundational answer, right? That I am not, not my, my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then there's this teaching on it. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact... All things must work together for my salvation. Okay, I can sleep better. I mean, it's just like, that's the foundation <laughs> I'm on. It's like even like the storm, this hardship in my life, even like this evil that has come, it has to work mm -hmm. for the good of my salvation. Mm -hmm. Like He is so committed to me and the building of my life in him that he must work this out in my salvation for my good, mm -hmm. right? And so... It says, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Like, that's it. Yeah. And I think a lot of the storms that I've been afraid of most of my life are the storms that show up from my past, living be apart from Christ. No doubt, my friend. And it's like, man, I'm just waiting for that storm, no that doubt. shoe to drop, that person to show back up in my life. And even that I've had to surrender and say, Lord, I didn't live for you. And so when that shows up, I'm going to address that storm with you. But now I just, I want to stop making storms in my present life that are going to be at some point in my past life trying to catch up to me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I live with integrity, live the ways of Jesus Christ today, because there's enough troubles in the world that I don't need to cause myself. Yeah. And we know that, that that's a kingdom cost. It's the pearl of great price. It's the way of picking up the cross daily. Yeah. That really brings actually life. So we get back into the text of Luke 6. I do find this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? A very poignant question of Jesus asking this crowd of people. In Matthew, he says that Jesus went up on the mountain and not the crowd came to him, but his disciples came to him. Mm-hmm. What what is the audience in which Jesus is talking to here? Yeah, I you don't know the breadth of it, but the the character of it are people that want to call him Lord, or are coming to him, listening to him, have the potential to call him Lord. Like this isn't the person on the street that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. Right. He's got a different question for them. Um, maybe that's the question we'll look at this Sunday, actually. But for 
for the audience, whether it's the disciples or the larger crowd, it's, it's basically, we talked about this, those who would go to church on Sunday. And he would say, okay, why, why do you call me Lord? And you don't do the things that I'm asking you to do. And Lord is, that's a title of authority. Like, why do you call me the authority of your life? And then when I lay out my ways, you say, nah, I'll choose something else. Mm. Because that's the tension. That's the disconnect. Yeah. If I'm the authority, then you would follow the ways. You're not following the ways, so therefore I'm not the authority. So either call me something differently or change the way you're living. And to motivate people to say, well, why would you want Jesus to be your authority? It's like, well, let me tell you two stories. Yeah. Let me tell you a story where, where two people are trying to build their life. And storms are going to come to both people. And one's life is preserved. It's not, it's not destroyed. The other person is great ruin. And the person whose life is preserved is the one that keeps me as their authority. You're like, oh, okay, I'll call you Lord. Yeah. It's interesting that this one talks about like the flood and the streams broke out. And you talked about how that would have been a typical experience within the region in which Jesus is teaching. Even today. Yeah. Yeah. I was, there were some YouTube videos I was watching that were coming. Uh, the, the, the flash flood was coming through Qumran. And it's just these dry riverbeds that look totally dry like a desert. Like nothing, no water's here. And then just almost instantly, yeah. it's filled with volumes of water just rushing down this hillside. I actually lived this in West Texas. Really? Yeah, where you would get on these highways and go across the country and you're like, it says stream or river and then you go and like, it's just dry riverbed and there's a bridge for like a mile. You're yeah. like, why is there a bridge? Like, couldn't you just put a road here? And in reality, it's that that happens. Flash flood happens, oh. and that whole thing becomes a river. Yeah. And they need a bridge over it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, wow, that's super interesting. Yeah. So I lived in a, a place which flash floods like that mm. would happen. Dry, clayish, was yeah. not very porous for water. And so when the rains did come, you didn't get it around the river at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I mean, like, because the whole point is they come unsuspecting. That's the whole point. Yeah, that is the whole point. It's on sunny days and whatever, you know, yeah. um, mild winds. Okay. But there are times that are going to hit both the Christian and non-Christian. I think that's the other point we tried to make. I think it's just so important that people often come to Jesus thinking he then insulates them, like removes storms from their life. Some are from our own sin. He removes some storms. Yeah. That is true. I was thinking of natural, you know, yeah, sickness, just life, health, yeah, tragedy, human suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're surprised when they get hit by them. Like, what? I, I have, I have Jesus. Why is this happening? It's like, yeah, it's so that you would be preserved through them. Mm-hmm. You talk, Maybe this is a two part question. You talked about the how we love information instead of transformation, especially. In the name of our church, we yeah. can be prone to this, right? Calvary Bible Church. We're a Bible-seeking, Bible-believing, yeah. Bible-studying church. There's a danger in that. To, can be, yeah. yeah, there can be a danger in that, to be so uh, engrossed in uh, information that we lose the transformation of what we're studying. Yeah. How do you feel like, what are the warning signs of that? Well, I think there's probably two is, you know, where, where are you creating space to practice? Like, I don't know about you, but in all the world, all the realms in which I've received personal coaching, whether that be sport, 
um, leadership, mentoring around the scriptures, usually it's it's slower on information, longer on practice. Like I'm going to give you one drill, we're going to practice this. Right. And oftentimes in our in our spiritual life, it's the opposite. Is we will take way more information than we should. We'll try to learn everything about the sport before we go try to practice it. Right. And if you go to a good coach, it's like, I'm not going to tell you anything at this point that you don't need to know. First thing I need you to do is what? You know, it, it just depends. Right. And so I think just the imbalance of how much information we try to get and gain before we practice it. The other piece, and this is brought up by several um, social scientists, I think also like John Mark Comer was talking about this. In the in this way, we're called the information age. Mm-hmm. So part of our cultural moment is based on our consumption of information. We love consuming information. Love it. But we we approach it so differently than basically anyone in history has, which is we just want to know where to find information. We're not interested in information transforming us. And so we don't sit to memorize information anymore. We just learn where to access it. And then when we come to Jesus and we come to our spiritual life, same thing. And you see this in the habit of scrolling is we're always scrolling through information and we don't sit around it long enough to be changed by it. And so as soon as we get bored by it, we move on. And then we take that same approach, that same habit of our approach to information to our, our discipleship with Jesus. And we're scrolling Christians. It's like, yep, next quote. Yep, next insight. Yep, next sermon. And it's like, hey, we should have paused and allowed that one sermon, that one point in that one sermon to meditate on it for like a month, six yeah. months. Totally. But so we're, we're kind of at a, you know, not a disadvantage, but we're just in a cultural moment that we even, at, we, we think about information differently, though we love it. But we don't want to even memorize it. We just want to know where to access it. Wow, that's very important to think about. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard it put that way. And that's sort of surprising to me. And I can see it in my own life. Yeah. Yeah. So give me the next Christian devotional. Right. What's the next thing coming out? Yeah. That's a cool thing. Well, you wouldn't do that in any other trait. You'd say, well, once you master that, once you get competency around that, then we'll, we'll go to the next thing. Interesting. So we <laughs> we talk about this quite a bit, that you don't put... You don't put sheets of plywood up when a hurricane's blowing. You put them up way before. Yeah. Sort of the idea of like building your life upon a firm foundation and the good days. So how does someone put their lives together in the warmy, warm summer, nice cool breeze days instead of when the storms of life hit? What what would you give them? Like what are we just what do we need to do with this? Yeah. It's hard because I think this is actually where Matthew calls him the wise builder. Luke doesn't. Is it takes wisdom to do an activity that doesn't seem urgent. Mm-hmm. This is the principles of planting, right? So right. we're going to plant something that we will harvest six months from now. And we have no appetite for that today. You know, and so that planting, even kind of full full circle here, it's like, yeah, if you actually wanted cheaper ski equipment, now is the time to do it. It's like, well, that's the last thing I want to think about. You know, especially as you move into like the spring or summer, it's like, what? I don't need those things right now. Yeah, full So what are you buying? Well, I'm buying summer stuff. Well, that's going to be at the most expensive part is when people are feeling the heat of summer. And that's the same thing with building is, okay, you need to deposit these things when you're not 
in the anxiety and emotion of it so that you can draw from them when you are. Mm-hmm. And you do that by what? Bible reading? Praying? Oh, man, this is this summer Journal. we're hoping to do a whole series on what it looks like to have habits that put God's Word into practice. Mm-hmm. And I think these there's just several ways of doing that. Part of it is, I mean, we could take, you know, just what we talked about today is um, what information have you been around lately? And before you go seek out more information, maybe you should allow it to, to permeate your life. Like put, start, start practicing some of those things. But when you feel like you have some competencies around it, some experiences around it, then go look for more information on it. So I, I think going to this text, um, it says he, he dug deep. And I think that's, I don't know who writes the book, Deep Work. Hmm. Oh, yeah, Cal. Who is that? Yeah, what's his name? Cal something. Right, Google it. There's a person that writes a book called Deep Work. Right. And essentially, like, most people don't want to do Deep Cal Work. Jenkins, I think. Is that what it is? I don't know. Um, and this is, like, this is Deep Work. This is not, oh, man, I want to be the master of a thousand traits. It's like, no, I'm, I'm digging here in one location on Christ. There's a depth to it. So he, you know, he dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, meaning like he, he connected his life to something outside of himself. That's the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Right. Is my only hope is being connected to something that's not me, Jesus Christ. And then he laid, he, they, yeah, he laid the foundation, and when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. So there's the deep work. There's the work that's you're connecting your life to something outside of you, and then it's you're building well on these things. And so I think, think about your Christian faith, like how well built is that? Is it is it a veneer? He's he's debunking so much hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who have the outward appearance of, you know, spirituality, yeah, but it's deep, slow, intentional, well built work. Dude, Thomas, what an encouragement. To my own life this week, I hope it's been an encouragement to your life as you listen in, participate in the weekly. Like always, you can write us on the YouTube channel a question about what is happening on the weekly, a question you have about the text. We listen, we look at those more than anywhere else. You could also hit us up when you see us at church and ask us a question that maybe we could ponder or talk about. We want you to be a part of the conversation. Let me lead you today leave you today maybe lead you actually is more important psalm 1 blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but their delight is in the law of the lord and on his law they meditate day and night they are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. All right, Gallery, we love you, praying for you. We hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you this Sunday in your neck of the woods.